everybody, and welcome to Mostly Film, your one-stop chaotic shop for all things in the world of film. I'm one of your hosts, Jonathan McCorder, joined by my illustrious co-host, J.P. Peton. Okay, I was going to say something last episode, can't stop saying Peton. I love the Peton. I hate it. It's like a, It's like you're, I kind of want to ride you every time I say it. All right, because, what's up, everybody? Because. What's up? No, you, this no, is going to make we're sense. We're not going to finish no, this thought. Peton. Sounds like Peloton. Oh. See? No. It's a rational thought process. It's nothing overtly sexual. You ride a bike, and then you ride a Peyton. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Luna, don't jump down. I have my chocolate on the floor. So this is mostly fo- mostly film. <laughs> mostly film. Yeah. You're one stop. You're a one stop chaotic shot. That's why it's in there. It's chaos. You never know how this is going to come off. Uh, we also are drinking Brothers Bond again. Oh, hey, you're drinking an old fashioned now. How is that? <laughs> not great not great it's a pre-made old-fashioned i didn't yeah, make it great. myself um so anyway today is our finey finey <laughs> final terry gilliam luna luna's up here with us again i'm having to move my stuff my, i had a star crunch and a rabbit hole or <laughs> <laughs> we're off to a rolling start guys it's almost the second one anyway listen uh today's our final terry gilliam in review which means we're done. We yeah. I didn't think we'd ever hit it. I was telling Dawson today, like, you know, he hasn't seen all of Terry Gilliam's films. He's seen the majority of them. Yeah. And he actually really liked Jabberwocky. I think he gave yeah. it like three and a half, four stars. Can yeah. you give it three and a half? Um, so I was telling him I didn't really love it. And I was like, you know, the one thing about Terry Gilliam that, you know, I was going through all my ratings and Letterbox will show you what your average rating is. So after, the, you know, today when we do our Terry Gilliam retrospective, we'll log into our all-time stats. Are you a pro member? Yes. Okay. Yes. You can go see your stat. I knew that. You can go see your stats, and you can see what your average rating of all the movies are, and it consolidates. Sorry, consolidates them into one rating for the director. Yep. Um. So uh, we'll we'll talk about that too. Because I'm interested. Don't tell me what yours is now. I see you looking it up, but um, I don't want to see. I want. I want to be surprised okay. by it. Um, because I'm interested to hear what yours will be. But anyway, so we're gonna discuss Monty Python and the Holy Grail and Jabberwocky talk, or kind of review the film uh, and discuss it and then we are also going to do a little Terry Gilliam retrospective talking about our highlights our low points and uh, just his impact on the film industry as a whole just some just some Terry Gilliam love or yeah. hey we'll see but for me it's going to be love for the most part so because um, where I was going with that Dawson thing is I think we mentioned it last week or two on the episode two or the podcast is that you know ultimately I think Terry Gilliam was one of those creators that if you broke his movies up like most people do in normal like director settings he becomes across as way more palatable but when you're watching these movies back to 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 back sometimes they do get a little yeah repetitive isn't the right word because they're all different but they're all this they're all the same and i feel thematically they're all same yes and i don't feel like all directors are that way i think terry gilliam's very much purposely so that way but i don't think he also intended for people to watch 14 movies yeah i mean Week over week. You know what I mean? Yes. Two two Gilliam films a week. Yes. She's eating my ass She's basically right now. Your <laughs> Out of context, like, well, who's eating whose ass right now? Like, what's going on? Your Listen, dog. My dog is eating my ass right now. Oh my god. On the floor. Give more context. Uh I have, you know, when, so when I come upstairs at night, sometimes I get real hot. Like right now. I have my basketball shorts on, but my boxers are hugging my balls way too tight. Okay. And if I was up here by myself, I'd take them off and just be my basketball shorts and I'd chuck my boxers over there. But, like, she's got some old boxers right now. 
I guess I maybe sharded in them or something. Yeah. And she's just licking that chocolate goodness out of them boxers. Anyway, I'm joking. I didn't do that. Luna! Look at that face. I'm not looking. (laughs) Come here. Anyway, so anyway, uh, so we'll do our Terry Gilliam retrospective, and then we're also going to discuss our favorite comedies and why comedies today just don't seem to hit the same as they did in the early 2000s and such, uh, or even before then, like we talk about Monty Python Holy Grails, one, yeah. to me, one of my all-time favorite comedies, and that's from the 70s. So uh, we'll discuss comedies, all thing comedy, good and bad, and our top fives. Um, so let's jump right into it. Which one do you want to start with? I say we start with Monty Python. And the Holy Grail? Yeah. Okay. Um, fun story about Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Well, first of all, there's not any crazy Terry Gilliam stories on Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, so this was uh, Terry Gilliam had only still done Monty Python stuff at this point. Um, he'd done a couple short stories films, but like this is as feature length films. He'd only done Monty Python. So this wasn't anything really out of subject. This was his comfort, I guess you could say. Um, so in high school, we used to go to um, one of me and Tanner used to go to one of our best friend's houses uh, and hang out there all the time. Say the night, you know, it was just like all family and stuff. And we would uh, watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail pretty regularly. Like, I always requested it. Like, I loved Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It'd be like two in the morning. We'd get up, or not get up, we'd be up and we'd make tie dye pancakes and drink like sugared up Kool Aid. I'm talking like sugared up Kool Aid. Like, you know, mostly sugar, a little bit of Kool Aid. And we'd watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail and then play Guitar Hero one or two. It was great times. I was living my best life at this point. And uh, besides now, now I wouldn't trade my life for anything. Beautiful wife, beautiful daughter, uh, dog who eats my ass for free. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be in the title now. Uh, anyway, uh, so like I loved this film from uh, sober high school years, but even better when I was like drunk or high. Like this movie just hit. Like I would like be pissing myself and in tears laughing so hard at this film. Like, to me, this and Anchorman are the two funniest films of all time. Uh, I at least watch it annually. Always have. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I did, and I did watch it last year. Um, and every time I watch it, I still laugh. I dropped the rating this year. Really? From a five to a four and a half. However, I still loved it. But yeah. going, I didn't quite. It didn't quite have the same impact on me it normally does. Now, granted, I've seen this film probably 30, 40 times. So you know, any movie you watch that many times is going to lose a little bit of its luster. But I didn't quite just get as much joy out of it as normal. Yeah. But it's still a four and a half star film. Like I still loved it. It's still one of my top three comedies, four comedies of all time. Um. Now, but by the way, I am going to make a caveat when we go to talk about our top five comedies. I'm not including Monty Python and the Holy Grail because we're talking about it today. So I'm just going to tell you right now it's one of my top five comedies. Okay. So um, this one compares because the other Terry Gilliam film that he directed was a, that was a Monty Python was The Meaning of Life. The Holy Grail outclasses it in every sense of the world. word. So in The Meaning of Life, there's only a few sketches that worked for me. Almost all the sketches worked for me and Monty Python and Holy Grail. And what I like about Monty Python and the Holy Grail better than his other Monty Python film it actually feels like a coherent, coherent story from beginning to end. Yeah. Like the, there, there are different scenes, different sketches, but there aren't as many hard cuts, like set resets. Yeah. And each, it, it tells like a story. Book. Yes. Yes. It, yeah, exactly. It is. Yeah. A, I mean, even like the, yes. the hand drawn animation. animation. Yeah. yeah. 
it, it, you know, it works as a film, which is 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 good. Um, and I thought all the characters were fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Eric Idle's Robin Hood, his minstrel cracked me up uh, more so than I normally remember. Uh, remember that it it was good. Um, I thought this is one thing, and and one of the things we were going to talk about with Jabberwocky. Like the script and stuff, it's smart. Yeah. Like the stuff they say is actually like it's funny because it's so smart. Like like highbrow humor. Like you don't like, expect a joke about African swallows. swallows. That's what yes, I, was, I was thinking to, about to or come like, full circle. Yeah. Or at like the, the very whole scene end. where they're he, uh, he's riding like on his third stop through the highlands after yes. the bring out your dead and the guys arguing about classism yeah. and monarchies and like you know all that stuff, which is just. That's Gilliam. It's Gilliam, it, but this one it honestly worked in a lot in in a more impactful way than some of his other stuff. Yes. I think because of the premise of the film. But um, no. So with Monty Python and the Holy Grail, what was your favorite? Well, I guess for seeing synopsis, if you haven't seen it, you know the King of England is on a quest to not not originally for the Holy Grail to get the knights of the, to recruit the knights of the Round Table. Yeah. Um, and on the after he gets these knights of the round table, they are interrupted by God himself, um, who comes up in the clouds in form of hand drawn animation and uh, tells them they have to find the Holy Grail. Yeah. And then they now then they go, they split up and go on their search for the Holy Grail. Um, so there, there's your plot of the film. Um, what worked the best? So who was your favorite of the bunch? And what was your favorite air, air quotes, even though there aren't really skits? What was your favorite skit skit or two? Uh, I think because you gave this four and a half stars as well, right? I gave it four. Four, okay. Yeah, um, Lancelot was probably my favorite. Okay. Uh, which his, one's that? It's not John Cleese. That's Michael Palin, right? Or no, is that sort of Gilead? I don't know how they do it on my laptop. It's hard to tell. I think it is uh Michael Palin. Um, let's see. I can tell you. I got it here. Uh, Michael Palin played. Oh wow, he's got a lot of different. Yeah, credits on all here. these, all these guys have four or five different roles, <sighs> and they don't expand fully. Oh no, that's a bummer. But I think it was Michael Palin because I'm pretty sure. So, oh, John Cleese played the Black Knight. Did you know that? Yep, I missed that. Anyway, go ahead. I got to figure this out. So the the Lancelot bit was hilarious. Um, you know, he's just a overzealous. You know, uh, I forget what the the word um they says um but the overall it, that that storyline just kind of made more sense for me um but anyways the character itself was was great um it was the more humorous felt like a uh, full story to me mm-hmm. whereas the robin story kind of didn't make a ton of sense um the um uh, Oh, who is the second knight? He is Sir Lancelot. He is Sir Michael Lancelot. Palin. Yeah. Uh Michael Palin. Yeah, Michael yeah, Palin is yeah. Sir Lancelot. Um, so yeah. Um yeah, Sir Lancelot. That's it. That's my final answer. Okay. And so which and he and uh the other one, Michael uh or John Cleese was Sir Gilead. Sir Gilead. Yeah. Gotcha. There you go. And then you had John uh Graham Chapman, who was King Arthur, Eric Idle, Robin Hood. Robin, uh, Robin Hood? Robin Hood. I thought it was just Robin the not so 
Oh, maybe it is. I just it's always just Robin, I just, not hey, dude, oh, not so Robin, right. so Robin. But anyway, I just thought it was Robin Hood. It's supposed to be Robin Hood. No, but it, it's not as good as John Cleese's Robin Hood. If so, no. But anyway, uh, so what what skits worked best for you? The Knights Who Say Knee is obviously oh, the most uh, bring us a shrubbery. Yeah, and then whenever you know they're no longer the Knights Who Say Knee, they're the Knights Who Say. I don't know what it's up. A super lot of words, <laughs> but then you can't say it. Yes. Uh, I'll be honest. So I'll backtrack a little bit for like this movie as a whole. Mm-hmm. I kind of had a bad taste in my mouth for this uh, movie. Beforehand? Before. Well, I mean, not not before I watched this uh, for yeah. the longest time, though. Um, just because I grew up, I didn't watch this. And mm-hmm. everybody I knew watched this. And they talked about it in a kind of pretentious way. To yeah. where if you didn't get the joke, you're an idiot. And... You know, it's like kind of turned me off to it for a while. And then I watched it, you know, probably 10 years ago. Yeah. And I was all in. Uh, but no, and it holds. Uh, well. Yeah. Like it looks good. Yes. So I I, I was, where'd you watch it? Uh, I watched it on Netflix. Uh, I have it on Voodoo. I didn't know it was on Netflix. So yeah. And then uh, Jabberwocky was on Prime. Yeah. Who knew? Um, so anyway, you were saying the Nights Who Say Any. What else? Uh, nice you say knees iconic. Yes. When they're when they're knee that old woman so, is great. I don't know if this is a Gilliam thing, but the uh so the the, the opening with the, the swallows with the French. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then whenever they make it to the castle arg, yeah, um, and the French are there already. Uh I thought that that um that whole exchange was was great. Fantastic. Um, That's like the so. most quotable part of the whole the whole yeah, film too. Absolutely. I fought in your general direction. <laughs> your mother was a what was a window dresser and some of the fish called her some sort of fish too. I don't remember, I remember what it was. No, it it, it was <laughs> it was fantastic. Um well But Gilliam does not like the French, I feel like. No, I don't think he likes the Americans either. Yeah. I don't think Gilliam likes anybody but himself and his Monty Python troop yeah, very yeah. much. Uh that's okay. It makes for you it got makes your for guys, good you got your guys. You know? I love the witch burning scene. Uh, that cracks me up Ooh, every yeah. time. That, is, that was a good one. Uh, the 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 contradictory and like Eric Idle's <laughs> dense character. Yeah. I love Eric. Eric Idle is probably the most famous of the bunch now, and somehow the funny one of the funniest ones consistently in this in the sketch sketches. Yeah. Uh, and when you go back to Disney this year, pay attention to the Figment ride because he narrates and is the main journey guy of the whole thing, which is just I love that for him. Um, yeah, so I love, I love that the whole thing. We got another Gilliam with his underage stuff. When, uh, Michael Palin's character, Sir Lancelot goes into the castle with all the nuns, sexual yes. deviant nuns. And she's like, Oh, uh, we're nothing but a bunch of 16 to 19 and a half year old, uh, <laughs> virgins. And I was like, dang it again. Yep. Yep. What, what is it? What is it with this? Uh, to be fair, I think in England, the age of consent, 16. And the, I mean, they were also talking about the seventies here too. So yeah. Just a different time to be alive, I guess. Um, I don't mean that in like a good way. I'm nope. just saying I didn't, I didn't mean that. I guess see the way it sounded like in an endearing way. I didn't mean it that way. Um, just you know, culture shift, change, I guess. But yeah, no, I love that. And then I also love the whole. Uh, what is your name, Robin? What is your favorite color? Yeah, blue. Okay, you can pass. Yeah. And the next guy comes in. He's like, "What is the capital of wherever?" Like, yeah, I don't know. Dead. I love. I love that whole scene. I like the scene. Um, where they're uh, oh shoot, drawing a blank now. I just. I was. Just, oh, the rabbit. Where they go? Where they go to try yes. to take out it's this a vicious rabbit, vicious beast. He's got fangs and 
haunches. Yeah, or something. so so good. Um, the whole coconut bit never gets old for me. Never. Uh, the bring out your dead scene. Which, I'm not dead yet. Which I feel be. like the coconut bit is just a workaround that they don't have to pay for a bunch of horses. Or but then something. they have the whole big scene with all the horses in it later in the scene. The movie where the cars drive by, there's like four horses that drive, that are in that final scene. Yeah, it'd be like four. That's all they would have needed. Yeah. <laughs> but they had like a whole army show up on a, a cliffside. I know. That's wild. They no. did make some weird, Terry Gilliam's make some weird choices. I purposely yeah. saw, I swear, because it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. But no, uh, the humor in Monty Python and the Holy Grail is consistently funny. It's the, still to me holds down as one of the funniest, funniest films today. And it holds up very, 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 very well today. Uh, humor, script, and performances. The way the cinematography, it's great. So how do you feel about the ending then? How they end this film? Like they're all getting arrested? Yeah. I've never understood it. Well, there's a there's a few cut scenes, which if I'm being totally honest. I love the opening cut scenes, by the way. Yeah. With the with the moose and everybody getting sacked. Oh, the credits. Every, every time I revisit this movie, I get totally thrown off by it. Yeah. I did the first few times, but now I, I wait for it. I'm yeah. like, when's it coming um, up? Then they just go straight into the like the Mexican, yeah, yeah, and then with you the go shooting full on seizure and yeah, it's wild. From the opening credits, you know you're in for a rod. Yep. But uh, what, what were we saying though? Uh, we're so the, the ending, ending yeah. like, how did you how did you feel about it? Because that honestly makes it for me. No, it's great. It, just, I just, it never it never made sense to me. Yeah, there's a couple of scenes though where they cut to like a cop over a dead body. Which, yeah, the narrator he yeah. gets killed. Um, yes. So like. Are they LARPing? Yeah. I guess this whole thing a LARP and they ex- they get too carried away? Yeah. I'm I asking. Know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, LARPing probably wasn't a thing in the 70s. It would or- explain the coconuts. I know. <laughs> it would. It explain a lot of the things. But like, yeah, I don't know. The Oh, and I, the Knights at the Round Table. But Great. Love that whole bit. I did not. Oh, see, I thought that was great. I could have cared less, and honestly, whenever whenever it's they cut whenever place. they cut back to Arthur, and they're like, uh, Camelot's it's a know, silly place. It's a silly place. Yeah, love that. Fantastic. Uh, uh, see, I, I, thought, I thought that whole thing worked for me, and I would have loved a couple more actually musical bits from that because, like, the minstrel thing. So Robin ran away. No. Brave. So Robin. See, that's love all that's that the stuff. thing though. I enjoyed about Life of Brian. Or, you mean meaning uh, of life? Meaning of life. Yeah. Like the the musical bits were were good in that, but what makes Holy Grail great is that it kind of stays grounded in, in storytelling yeah it does um and yeah i i just i thought it was funny with the lancelot bit because the son who had sent out the the note basically asking for help who lancelot think is actually a damsel in distress yeah where he finds out like that that son is like trying to sing and whatever and uh the the father's like always jumping it's like no no we're not singing um, it almost felt like a tongue-in-cheek, like a like. Oh yeah, we're, not, we're not doing that in this movie. And there was a lot of that too. Yeah, uh, which was which was funny. That whole that whole bit was pretty good too. I I I did I did like that as well. Um, yeah. So as a whole, Mon Pot and Holy Grail. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's a very simplistic film. Yeah, but just executed perfectly to me. Cinematic vault, Hall of Fame, comedy film. I I think it's execution for a group of uh actors that have had a bunch of just reps together and it they just everything kind of matched mm-hmm. up and we got a hit out of it so where did it rank for you on your list it's my number uh, four yeah i gotta pull it up real quick it's a four and a half for me so you have the fisher king 
Parnassus, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, Monty Python, The Holy Grail. Yeah. And then I will give my full list after we talk about Jabberwocky. So it is four for me as well. Um, but so I've got Brazil still at number one. Um, Fear and Loathing, uh, number two, Fisher King at three, and then Holy Grail at four. Uh, so it took down Tidelands, which is now at five, and I'll just leave it at that until we get to Jabberwocky. Uh, Tyler just finished gold. Oh, yeah. Uh, Didn't care for it. He said it's not what he was expecting, not bad. He said giving it a three could be talked down to a two and a half. Yeah. I gave it a three and a half, I think. Yeah. So always interesting to hear other people's perspectives. But um, anyway, uh, yeah. So my thoughts on Holy Grail, my four, your four, four and a half for me, four for you. Yeah. Uh, still, we don't get comedies like this anymore. And I very much enjoyed it. We don't get smart comedies at all anymore. Like that aren't just like sex gag, yeah. potty gag. Like this is just highbrow comedy. Well, like we, yeah. we can talk about that that more later because I do think there's a little bit, little bit of truth to that. So yeah. So so we, we will discuss that soon. But let's go into Jabberwocky. You. So all I of mean, these Terry Gilliam films, for the most part, though, yeah. I've been higher on or the same as you. Yeah. This is the first film that you outranked you outranked me on this. Um, I gave Jabberwocky a three stars, and honestly, I was two and a half the majority of the film up until the end. Yeah, uh, the, the end, the last thirty minutes or so, did boost it up to a three. Um, and some of the, my favorite parts from this, the whole movie was like the last thirty minutes, or they would even shave 20, 30 minutes off the total runtime. Runtime of this film, yeah. I could have bumped it up to three and a half, maybe even like which is where you where you settled with it. So, yeah. give me Jabberwocky in a nutshell and tell me why it works for you. God, because I mean, it's basically about well, because I'm the reason I ask you, you what didn't work for me. You didn't understand what was happening. Well, I did, but it didn't make it made no yeah. sense in the overarching plot. It was a lot of chaotic obstacles. Yes, to get to the end, which ultimately was just. Yeah, I so you've got a son who Michael Palin, yes, <laughs> who is uh, what are they called? They're a charter or something. They, they, they make barrels, barrels, yeah, barrel uh, maker. There yes. you go. And uh, it starts out in the movie. There is this monster that's killing people. That is the overarching mm-hmm. like doom, but the and this, like killing them brutally. Yes, like that's one thing I did from that from the beginning. Enjoy those the, uh, the practical, the practical effects. effects. Yeah, and uh, so. Michael Palin's character is this basically um what's the word he's a uh he's very aloof yeah but he's also un- like he's a he's ashamed of the father like whatever oh, like um, a bastard almost but he's not his bastard son but like no but he's he's not bastard he's he doesn't a, want to carry on the family business and like has no interest in making barrels and is like a dreamer and wants to go to the town yes. cities and stuff like that yeah and as he's like obsessed with this neighboring guy who comes and visits him called mr fishfinger which is gross well the only reason he's interested in him is because he's in love with his daughter yeah who is you know not no, attractive. No. Um, who has, ironically, has no attraction towards him. Um, whenever um, he's, so you find out that the, f- that the father is dying, is dying and as on his deathbed. He tells us something <laughs> he, like, he is a failure. Denounces him. Yeah, he denounces him. He's a failure. He's, he's not going to carry it. It's not going to be able to carry on his business and that's it. He decides that he's going to go and make a name for himself. Yeah. And so he takes off. Uh, the only thing he leaves with is a potato that the girl threw out. Threw out as trash. Yes, not through to him. But he claims it as a memento. He takes off for the city to make a name for himself. 
where the king of this town, which I don't, I don't remember the name of the king, but not me neither. He, he kind of uh, grossed me out too. He's trying to find a champion to attack to kill this uh, Jabberwocky. This Jabberwocky, um, and they basically do um, a uh, jousting. Yeah, jousting tournament. Um, anything I'm missing so far? No. I, so the when I was watching this film, what happens to Michael Palin? Basically, his whole life is a series of unfortunate events. Yeah. And the whole thing I was thinking of was the title for the movie, Steve Carell movie that nobody saw because it wasn't very good. Alexander and the No Good Horrible Bad Day. Is that the one with the miniature people? No. Okay. That's Welcome to Marwin. Okay. So what, I have no idea what the, the movie is. It's about is, basically a day, his family, everything goes good to worse or bad to worse okay. from getting in. So Dennis, the main character of this film, Michael Palin's character, he just has one bad thing after another happens. Yeah. But they always lead to something better than something bad happens and something good happens and something bad yeah, happens. You got to take one step or two. You have two steps. You take it's like one, take one step forward and two steps back. Yes. No matter what you do or what I do, you're always mad. Nah. That was great. Can't change your mind. It's, still there. Okay. it's like trying to turn around on a one-way street. You know that song? I do. Theory of a dead man. Not meant to be. So yeah, Dennis is kind of a loser. Um, yeah, total he, loser. Yeah, he ends up meeting a squire who's kind of a, a Which his character was, was one of my favorites. Yeah. And like, there's one scene in the film where he's stuck underneath the bed that, <laughs> of this lady he is boning and the husband gets out of jail and comes back home and he has to stand under the bed and listen to it. That is one scenario that's never not funny. I laughed yeah. out loud. Like, I, I thought that was funny. Like, people's reactions to be in those precarious situations never fails to make me laugh. Yeah. Uh, so, after the after that squire's dead, he basically ends up taking his spot, Dennis does, yep. and that knight ends up becoming the champion, who is then sent out to hunt down the Jabberwocky. Um, there, this whole time, there's been this cult-like group mm -hmm. that, I guess has formed their own like has got their own um champion the champion. black knight well the black knight keeps coming and killing all the champions at the king tournament that's right but he won't fight for him yes so which is weird as i never i didn't understand that either yeah that which that i was... want to give credit where credit's due before i forget kudos to did you catch in the credits who plays the black knight no but i could david david powers powers you know who that is no not top do you see head. his name I do. It's Darth oh, Vader. Yes. He plays Darth Vader. Wow. Obviously doesn't voice Darth Vader, but that's who's in the suit. Yeah. So uh loved that when I saw that. So interesting that, call back there. Yeah. So that that was that was super cool. Especially when I because I watched it, I was like, man, this is a big guy. And then I was like, oh, yeah. it's does one. They probably so that was that was a neat little so, yeah, Easter egg. The, the uh champion and then the black knight end up, you know, going at it and barely he barely. literally slices him in half his first joust. Yeah, but the black knight Kills the champion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which leaves Dennis scurrying for his life. Um, yeah. And the Jabberwocky intervenes. Jabberwocky shows up as the Black Knight is about to kill it. It strikes him down where Dennis is there to clean up the mess. Yeah. So Dennis hunkers over to hide and the sword just is like that he had just pulled. Himself. Like he had like up underneath him. And then when the Jabberwocky went to eat him, it went through the Jabberwocky skull. Yeah. Killed him. So now Dennis is your new champion. The oh. king gives him he the fish fingers now love him because they're just clout chasers and like the love of his life wants to be with him now and he gets to be with the fish fingers and the king comes and thanks him and says he's gonna give him half the kingdom. So 
Dennis and the fish fingers are thrilled. And then he says, you also get to marry my daughter. And he's like, oh, uh oh. <laughs> then they take him off and he has to go marry the daughter and he's sad. So no matter what happens, he's just he doesn't constantly, win. he doesn't get to win. Um, so I hated, hey, well, I did not like this film to the end. And it's because it just didn't matter. I feel like nothing mattered. And it was like the same thing happening over and over and over and okay, over and yeah. over and over and over again. Uh, and for nothing, I I didn't I just didn't vibe with it. But the last thirty minutes were great, and I loved the whole practical effects with the Jabberwocky. Seeing the Jabberwocky Jabber walking was great. Loved that. Yeah. I'm waiting all day to say that. Um, great time. Um, uh, so I, kudos to the practical effects team for that because that was pretty intricate little costume there and yeah. gross. Maybe maybe Mad God feels. Yeah. Uh, so but as a whole, I just didn't I just didn't like it very much. I so I agree. This movie wasn't. Like what we're what we are probably used to. This was his first. This is Terry Gilliam's first non Monty Python film. Yeah. So and so the the thing that I liked about this is that it felt like a continual story. Mm-hmm. If there was, it was very similar to Monty Python. Yeah. In the sense of, and maybe double featuring this and Holy Grail wasn't the best choice because I felt like it just came out of the world of Holy Grail and then well, went you're into Jabberwocky. You're expecting it to be. You're expecting it to be as slapstick funny. There are yeah. moments of slapstick in this movie. They didn't land near as good as Monty Python. But this is more plot heavy. Yeah, it's a much more plot centric movie. Um, I appreciated that, and I kind of like. I thought how it opened. It kind of set the tone for the mm-hmm. type of movie it was, where. It was um it was serious, but there's gonna be moments of humor. Yeah. Um and just completely outrageous in the parts where, you know, there were humor. Uh but overall it was a very even kill movie. The the conversations that people have, I thought like that first interaction with uh uh Dennis and uh the fish fish fingers or whatever their their names yeah, are. Yeah, the fish finger. Yeah. Like, you know, that just kinda it, it it's just that talking over one another where it, it, it it's almost like you're falling down a hill. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just hard to keep up. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I appreciated that more than I expected. I wasn't expecting to see titties. <laughs> yes. At least she wasn't a minor. Yeah. She was definitely an adult. <laughs> so praise up for that. Uh, oh, uh, Dawson watched house. I meant to tell you this. Yeah. He said they were all underage. Yeah. It's Japan, man. Japan. What's wrong with the world? I don't know, man. Cultures. Cultures different. Very different. People wrong, bro. Anyway, listen. Uh yeah, so Jabberwocky. Uh, there was something I was gonna say about it too here. Um, in in the vein of what you were talking about, but I got distracted thinking about house. That was the that was the whole plot of me watching this film and getting distracted thinking about something else because I just yeah. went I just didn't vibe with this one. I, I totally get I spaced out in this movie. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. When I when I was thinking about giving this a two and a half until the very end, I was like, JP's going to give this a half a star. I've 100% just thought you are going to say, I've put this on two times speed and just was done. I might have hit a point where I might have sped it up a little bit. I, I No, I 1,000% fast forwarded at 30 seconds of time for some stuff in this film. But, and I didn't feel like I missed a damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could have kept it sped up, but the dialogue was so hard to keep up with. Yeah. Well, and that's one thing I will say I did appreciate about this film though, is there were times in this, I loved the script Yeah, because it was very well written. It was cheeky, smart, sophisticated humor. Uh, I just felt like it just didn't, it wasn't enough to rectify, you know, this movie should have been at least 90 minutes. Yeah. It's 105 should have been 90. 
you trim that bloat up, you may be talking to me giving the same rating you did a three and a half star. Yes. Um, but as a whole, it was just it was just too much for me. Um, too much of nothing. But I still liked it better than me in life, probably because it's still one story, kind of coherently yeah. put together. So I, 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 they're both a three star for 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 me. So, um, out of these two, I can't really recommend Jabberwocky personally. Um, same way I couldn't really recommend Meaning Life. They both have their moments, but um, as a whole, eh, not for me. Yeah, I actually ended up rating this right above Meaning of Life at number twelve me so so now so now that we've discussed these are shorter i knew this would be the shortest week of discussion because they're yeah. both very straightforward and, and what they are so give me your terry gilliam full list ranked with right. your rating with your star ratings for each film all right from one to from best to worst from best to worst we've got at four and a half stars i got brazil uh number one number two i've got fear and loathing in las vegas at four and a half as well uh I got another four and a half at three with the Fisher King. Monty Python at four with four stars. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Holy Grail, yes. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, Tideland uh, with four stars coming in at five. Uh, Twelve Monkeys at a four star at number six. Uh, the Adventures of Baron Munchausen uh, with a four star at six. We'll lose count. That's pretty good, though, so far. Six films in, and you are four or higher on them all. No, that's seven. Oh, seven. So. Yeah. Uh, Time Bandits at four with numbers eight. Uh, at nine, I've got... You know you can filter and do this? Yes, I can. Yeah, to yeah, number can. them, yeah. I have to do that too because I early in the podcast when we were talking about stuff, I'd always mess it up. Holy crap, my eyes. My eyes. Yeah, I thought Brothers Grimm was better than Jabberwocky. Yeah, um, so... I had nine was Imaginarium, Dark Doctor Parnassus. Ten was the man who killed. Well, what would you rate Parnassus? Uh, three and a half. Three and a half. The man who killed Don Quixote at ten, at three and a half. Uh, Zero Theorem at three and a half, at eleven. Jabberwockies at three and a half, at number twelve. The Meaning of Life with three, at uh, thirteen, and then the Brothers Grimm dead left last two and a half, fourteen. Wow. That's something. It is what it is. I. It's very funny hearing some of the differences here. So most Terry Gilliam people will have Brazil at number one, which is what you have at number one. It's a great film. I can't wait to rewatch that. Brazil is at number seven. There's something wrong with you. But it's a four and a half. So I mean, it's still great price. So my number one, and to me, it is by a landslide, is The Fisher King. Yeah. That movie is one of my new personal favorite films. Yeah. Love The Fisher King. That's my number one. Number two. Is the imaginary of Dr. Parnassus at number five? I uh, didn't think that would be unthroned. Was pretty adamant about it, but it did. Got unthroned. Yeah. Number three is the Adventures of Baron Munchausen at four and a half. Uh, that that is one I feel like if I rewatched, I I am actually leaning towards. I think about this one more than any of the other films. Yeah. Um, and I was just thinking, literally, while I was watching Monty Python and the Holy Grail and Jabberwocky, I was just thinking, what a huge jump it was to go from those to Adventures of Baron Munchausen. In that time, because that was his next big film. Yeah, after I mean, after those, that he, was like a good ten years. Well, though. he went to Time Bandits next. That was his next yeah. film after uh, Jamberwocky, which was good. And then it was The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Uh, it's just two films it, to that to go from Jamberwocky and then two films later to be The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Yeah, that's a huge jump and uh, just a testament to 
his, you know, learning, like doing more, you know, or, yeah. you know, pushing the craft. But anyway, so Baron Munch has a four and a half, but I wouldn't be surprised if at some point this year I moved that to five. Um, number four uh, is Monty Python, the Holy Grail, four and a half stars. Number five, and this is, you'll have to tell me where you rated yours again. Uh, four and a half stars is the man who killed Don Quixote. Where was your Don Quixote? Pretty uh, far down. Don Quixote was nine. Okay. That's far down. As I yeah. thought. Mine's five. No, 10, 10, 10. Oh, 10. So, you know, yeah. halfway down. Uh, my number six at four and a half stars is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. My number seven at uh, four and a half stars is Brazil. My number eight at four and a half stars is 12 Monkeys. My number nine at four and a half stars is The Zero Theorem. My number 10 at four stars is Time Bandits. My number 11 at Tideland at four stars. What was your Tideland? Uh, Tideland was five. Oh, dang. Yeah. So I'm 11 down there. Yeah. My number 12 uh, at three and a half is Brothers Grimm. My number 13 at three stars is Jabberwocky. And my number 14 at three stars is Monty Python and the Meaning of Life. Mm. So now I want to know before we do our Terry Gilliam retrospective, if you go to your stats, did you already do this? Stats, go to all time on Letterboxd and let's see here. Director, director, scroll down. All right, here we go. Directors, you go to highest rated and it shows you your average rating. So Terry Gilliam for me was a 4.2 rating out of the 14 films I've logged. That's my average. So Brothers Grimm and <laughs> Jabberwocky and Monty Python. Uh, I mean, life brought it down for me. But 4.2. That puts him tied with Penny Marshall, Terrence Malik, Yorgos Lanthimos, Martin McDonough, and Jonathan Glazer for my directors. Uh... And Darren Aronofsky and Robert Eggers. They're all tied with Gilliam. Yeah. On whatever rank their films. I don't see. So go uh, to, is it you switched yeah. to highest rated? Yeah. Where's Gilliam? I don't see him. He should be there. Because you've seen 14 of his films. I know, but he's not Have there. Have you reviewed and logged them all? I've logged all of them. I've not reviewed all. Well, of them. you know what I mean. Like you have to add them to your diary, like you did yes. with the first two. Yeah, I did. And you did all time. Yeah, I did. I don't understand. <laughs> That's wild <laughs> to me. Well, if I did four point two, you're probably sitting at like a three point seven to four. Would yeah. be my guess. Um, I don't see him either. That's weird. That is. How's weird. he not on there for you? I have no clue. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. But yeah, so I, my guess is you're probably sitting right around that four mark, though. So um, let's talk about Terry Gilliam. As a whole, I know this was kind of an odd choice for our first director's <laughs> series in review. Yeah. Um. So knowing that we're both, you know, I'm a little over four. You're probably right out of four on your overall enjoyment of Gilliam in terms of rating his films that he directed. Mm-hmm. Um, what stood out to you about Terry Gilliam? What makes Terry Gilliam to me so special? Like what, what, what is, what makes Terry Gilliam, Terry Gilliam? What makes Terry Gilliam, Terry Gilliam? Like that works and yeah. Yeah. What works for him is his vision. Um, I think something that is constant in all of his movies is style. 
um, the, the stuff that can work, but most often doesn't work is the, the theme. Mm -hmm. Um, he kind of favors, you know, super, you know, fictitious, but at the same time, really dark, um, which I think is just his take on the world. But, you know, it, it works in some of these movies. Like when I look at, when I look at my list of movies and think about the ones that are rated higher or lower, mm-hmm. the ones that are rated lower are some of those. It's more than likely certain things did not hit the way that he probably thought they should have. Right. So but I guarantee you he thought they did. Yeah, like zero <laughs> yeah, like zero theorem. That is a movie that probably if I went back, I could redo, but I think, you know, we did that on double feature with Brazil. Yeah. Which was not fair. So yeah. If you did uh if you watched rewatched any of these though for a bump in rating, it would need to be twelve monkeys. Yeah. No, I think I I talked about that one um at one point, but yeah. To me, when I watch these Terry Gilliam films back, especially when you're looking at when these films were made, he had such a th- thumbprint on what cinema is today that he doesn't, I don't feel like, get the credit that he deserves for. That's his own fault. Seriously. It, it is, but it also isn't. Like, like some of the stuff he did with the wine scenes, are, like I feel like he's all he's an advocate for film in general. Yeah. And he was such an innovator in a lot of ways, um, straight up being referenced by George Lucas and people like that as people they, like, they modeled things after but you don't ever hear Terry Gilliam mentioned to that so you say some of this is his own fault what do you mean by that I mean no he's got a reputation being difficult to work with but yeah it's still just in terms the of the like, reputation of him, him being difficult to work with um, he's tarnished his legacy you think yeah, a little bit yeah absolutely because overall your legacy is your it, part of your your legacy is um your um shoot is on the tip of my tongue not reputation your, not your not your availability but your um, like how much people want to work with you. Yeah. Um, we know actors do want to work with him, but we also not have, children actors. Yeah, not children actors. We like we know of of stories where you know it's been hard on on cast, but you've got examples of Matt Damon, and Tom Cruise, Adam Driver, and yeah, all these different actors that yeah Johnny Depp, seek him out, Ewan McGregor. I mean, yeah, lots. But ultimately. You know the people that matter most when it comes to making these movies really don't want anything to do with them. Yeah, you're the financiers. Yeah, so that's my take. So, um, would you recommend Terry Gilliam movies to friends? Absolutely. Yeah just just for the just for the hope that the magic of a Terry Gilliam movie, like it 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 grabs somebody, like that, and that's what it does. It it's it just sneaks up on you and it hooks you and um. You know, even you know, an Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus, a movie like that, that I was not overall high on, but I could definitely see just recommending something like that mm-hmm. to somebody and them them eating it up. So, so if you could recommend two films uh-huh. out of this film, not not your personal, I mean, unless it is your personal, happens to coincide with yeah. your personal favorites, but you could recommend two two films to somebody who hadn't seen a Terry Gilliam film, it's like, hey. You know, I want to introduce you to the world of Terry Gilliam. Here's two films that I think you should watch to kind of get a good idea of who he is. Yeah. What would be the two you'd recommend? Brazil. Okay. Um, And then, shoot. I mean, I feel like the easy answer is, is Holy Grail, but I feel like that is contingent on the cast. Mm -hmm. So I think I got to say 
The Fisher King. That's mine. Yeah. The Fisher King is one for me. Yeah. Because um, I think that's it could be universally beloved by anybody and you get just enough Gilliam with the Red Knight. Yeah. And some of the other twists that happen in there and the you know, societal commentary. But, and the other one's actually going to be The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. I think yeah. that is, and I think Time Bandits could be argued too, but I thought The Adventures of Baron Munchausen is a better version of Time Bandits in I, a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I think Munchausen gives you a very 1000% idea of who Gilliam is. And you see a lot of his other works in that. So if you don't like what the adventure of Baron Munchausen shows you, you're not going to like some of his other work. Yeah. Uh, the Fisher King is the most, still to me, the most non-Terry Gilliam, Terry Gilliam film. Uh, but it's also somehow my favorite too. But those would be the two that I would recommend. Um, I, I think you get a good dose of his humor. You get a good dose of what his societal worldview is. You get a good idea of his uh, just unhinged, unabashed imagination. Yeah. Um, and just the practical effects, both of those films and how he also, he's, we, we haven't talked, touched on this, a lot of his reviews, because we just talked about a lot of the set pieces and the scripts and the humor, but the way he directs some of these actors though, really good. Yeah. Like, you know, I look at Robin Williams, I look at Jeff Bridges multiple times. Um, and all, all the characters really in the adventures of Baron Munchausen, like he just, the way he's just got a way with getting people to sell the chaos he's created. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, it's really turns out to be a, a beautiful thing. So, um, Terry Gilliam for me, definitely one of my all time favorite directors. I always liked Gilliam and I'd seen a handful of his movies. Have you seen, which ones have you seen beforehand? Just Monty Python? Shoot. Um, uh, da, da, da. yeah, I think that's it. Wow. Yeah, all these movies are fresh for me. So I'd seen a handful of them back in the day, but um, watching them all with fresh eyes was definitely a good uh, introspective for me. Uh, I I definitely... I'm a Terry Gilliam apologist now. And I really want to make a documentary about Terry Gilliam's life before he dies. So someone out there who's a cinematographer, reach out to us (laughs) at... uh, Real mostly film at yeah. gmail.com. R E E L. Yeah. I will say R E E L. R E E L. But that's what I was trying to think. I'm trying to say the same to go. Yeah. Real mostly film at gmail.com. And let's make a Terry Gilliam documentary about his life and sit down and talk to him about his, you know, his work. I'd like to hear that. I want to hear some of these stories from him firsthand. I think that would be a ton of fun. Uh, cause that's it, it. Say what you want about his films. This man has lived an interesting life yeah. and has put his heart and soul and blood into these movies. Um, and I just, I would love to just sit down here like in all of all the directors I think I've seen, I'm not sure I've seen anybody as creative as he is. Um, so I, I think he's definitely an unsung hero for what we see today in film, a visionary in really every aspect of the world. So work. So um, kudos to him. And I hope he gets his last movie made. Um, and series he's been wanting to get off the ground too so um, last question for Terry Gilliam before we move on if you say he gets his next film made and like we did with the Glass Onion the next Ryan Johnson movie cast it give me three leads uh, I want to see Tom Cruise as the lead mm-hmm. um, as a co-star ooh Give me, I oh, forget his name, but I think he would do well with uh, Terry Gilliam's script. Um, it is Greg Kinnear. 
No, Gregory Hirsch from Succession. Oh, I, I forget. I forget his name, but uh, hold on. I yeah, I, I am unsure about Gregory Hirsch. How how was season um for episode one of Succession? Freaking amazing! Uh, don't get me started. I didn't even get to talk about that. Uh, well, shoot, what's his uh Nicholas Braun? Okay, yeah, I know who that is. Yeah, Nicholas Braun. Okay, so give Nicholas Tom Braun, Cruise Tom Cruise, Nicholas Braun. They probably one, give me one more three. Uh, female. Because he, he yeah, he always has like two males and a female. Almost everything. Um, I don't know. Give me Jenna Ortega. She would just look really weird, and I mean, it's like casting a Tim Burton movie type of thing. That's not, not a bad, not yeah. a bad pick. I, I I think if it were me, I would go with, and this is not just because we've been talking about it. I think Keanu Reeves would be a really good pairing with um Terry Gilliam. Um, I also think Tom Cruise would be my other one just because of all how hard he's tried to be in there. And I think he would fit Terry Gilliam's style actually really well. So Terry Gilliam, Keanu Reeves. <sighs> and honestly, I think I'm going to go with Florence Pugh. Uh, after Don't Worry, Darling, um, I think I think I could see her fitting into this world. Okay, now I got need now I need to watch Don't Worry, Darling. Don't, I liked I gave it four. So I liked Don't Worry, yeah. Darling. I, I, I was a fan. Um, I I think I think she would be a fun, fun or, or honestly, I know it's not a horror film, but Mia Goth I think would fit in a Terry Gilliam world, yeah. as well. Um, but I, I don't think you put an I don't think you put a Margot Robbie or somebody in no, this kind the, of. But honestly, Uma Thurman would be good to see Full Circle come back. <laughs> yeah. You know, I I wouldn't be mad at that. Um, it, it, that that character has to be almost like very very fairy tale like character mm-hmm. yeah. when you got a Margot Robbie that just does not no, give off that fit, vibe. No. Um but honestly and but yeah Keanu Reeves and um Tom Keanu, Cruise. Keanu that's a stretch for me, I'll be honest. No, I think I think Keanu would work. Um I, I feel like that would be because he sells that weird he does all these weird movies. Like, I think about the Matrix, I think about John Wick, I think about Bill and Ted, like all Constantine, all these characters. Yeah, fit Terry Gilliam in a different kind of way. Like I, I think, I think Reeves would be a, fu- a fun choice for me. All right. Um. So I don't know. I, I mean, honestly, Sandler would I think work with Terry Gilliam too, in a, in some Dude, kind of way. Speaking of Sandler, we didn't mention this on Tuesday's pod, but he wants he won a what's that award called for Hustle? Yeah, the no, um, it's the Mark Twain uh, award for like comedy. Oh, I had no clue. Yeah, it's like a, you know. Good for Adam Sandler. Yeah. Love Adam Sandler. One of those lifetime achievement type awards. Hmm. But yeah, I think I think I think that would be my three. Reeves, Cruz, Pew. Let us know who's got a better one. It's yeah. me. Who was yours again? It was Cruz. Cruz, Braun, and Ortega. Hmm. I think I like mine better. Uh-huh. Anyway, so uh yeah, I hope Terry Gilliam gets this thing on the ground. And I'm serious. Someone help me make a documentary about Terry Gilliam's life. Must be good existence. We, before we move off of uh, the Monty Python Holy Grail thing, you know, we're gonna hopefully have watched Dungeons and Dragons by the time we watch this. It. You mean by Tuesday? Yeah. Well, Next Tuesday. By Thursday. The... This is coming out Thursday. You're, oh, hear, you're hearing this on Thursday. No. Yeah, I know. I'm saying, but we won't have seen it because yeah. it'll be nighttime. So. The talk, though, of Dungeons & Dragons basically 
being very similar to Monty Python and Holy Grail. Oh, hey. Rumor has it. We might be doing some D&D. Yeah, maybe. In real life. Maybe. That's exciting I'll let you to guys me. know how that goes. Uh, but Dicks yeah, and dongles. I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, me too. Chris, uh, I think the the uh, Rotten Tomato, which could mean absolutely nothing to you, but the audience score is like ninety percent. Yep, so, I am very, I am very high on Dungeons and Dragons. I, I, someone said it's literally Lord of the Rings meets Monty Python meets Game of Thrones meets yes, something else. Yes. Like, uh, what was the other one? Like maybe Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, something wild. I'm like, it's, what? It's gonna be so all right. Cool. Sign me up. Uh, and they said this is the piniest Chris Pine. I was like, that review in and of itself, I love that. Give me that, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all, I'm all in. So it's a forest of pines out there. Yes. Um, but no, Terry Gilliam, I recommend him very much. Four, four point two director for me. All of his films are great. Um, most of ninety nine percent of his films are great. Um, great time, great time, great time. I do think you should. Um, Maybe take some edibles before a few of these films. So I think it would really enhance the Terry Gilliam experience. Not me, because I've already watched them. He's talking to you guys. What? Uh, yeah, talking. that was just yes. general advice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not taking edibles. I'm no, good. me either. I'm good over uh, here. But I think if you, if you are one person who does the drugs, I think drugs Gilliam's are... Gilliam's for you. Gilliam's for you. So, um, you know, I was telling Dawson earlier when we were talking about doing a director's... You know, we got to start choosing our new director. I was like... Uh, he goes, why don't you do Del Toro? I was like, I don't think I can do Gilliam than Del Toro. Yeah. <laughs> Those are two highly, fin- like, f- fantastic. Fictitious and very, like, just out of, like, makes your bright. Well, and Del Toro is has a very similar theme to all yeah. of his films. I kind of want to go with the director whose theme means a little different movie over, you know, film over film, like subject matter and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So let's talk about comedy. Let's do it. So when I called you today and uh, earlier this week, when we were talking about what to discuss about um, for this week's topic or two, you know, because we watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And when I was watching that film, I was like, they literally don't make comedies like this anymore. Um, Yeah. And I was trying to think, why? Like, and I started thinking, I I literally paused the movie because I was starting to, I got on Letterboxd. I was like, what was the last movie that made me laugh? Like, not just like a chuckle here or there. Like, maybe yeah. like laugh consistently through. And honestly, I had to go back to the early 2000s to find a film that like really made me laugh. Um, besides just like a trailer moment here or there. Um, but like the early 2000s and on before then, those were funny movies. But yeah. something's been lost in translation since like the 2010s on. I'm not saying there hadn't been a couple since the 2010s, but like 2000 to 2010-ish. Sure, yeah. That's the last run of good comedies to me. Like, since then, I can only think of maybe two or three, four films that I've like thought were funny. Yeah. So my question to you, first of all, and what we're going to discuss is, what's happened to comedies, and why don't we get comedies like something like Monty Potts and Holy Grail, where it's us, you know, we're not making sex jokes and, you know, potty jokes and, you know, yeah, I think part of it is people are more self-aware, mm-hmm. um, which could be argued the joy sometimes of these movies is just going and turning your, your brain off and yeah. just laughing. Um, you, do you think we're... And I, I, I do think we are, so I'll answer first okay. for myself. 
Do you think it's because we're dumbed down a little all like mostly a little all too ADD to start watching movies like Monty Python and the Holy Grail regularly? No, I, I think it's the opposite to where the content is probably more controversial than we like. Yeah. Or like we probably like it, but we don't want to admit yeah. that we like. And um there's just it's it's just too easy. It's too easy to spark outrage over any mm-hmm. little thing. Um do so you I th- think people feel scared to fully create in the comedy think, space? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think that, like, Monty Python was basically a group of actors that were really close. They they understood each other mm-hmm. and knew how to work together. The, the last, closest modern day equivalent we have to them. Yeah. Well, we're, I think we're going to disagree on yeah. what we say here. I don't think. You're what, are you, what are you about to say? I'd say the closest thing I can think of of how their origin started and how they took off, but the modern day equivalent didn't. Yeah. So, uh, you know, is the whose line is it anyway, guys? Oh, really? Yeah. No, because they started off like just a small group yeah. doing sketch bit comedy and then really grew into something else. Yeah. The I, whose line guys didn't do that, but their origin started like whose yeah. line kind of improv, you know, play, play style stuff, then grew into something else. Who were you going to say? Like Sandler's no, group of people? Yeah. I mean, yes, but, but those were more comedians yes. that kind of grew into that role of uh stepped into that that bit of uh movies uh so and really you know that whole i think that elevated the idea of, of mm-hmm. movies uh um, yeah could be as far as comedy uh but it then you get your seth rogan danny mcbride james franco um who those are the, the films other that still hit for me yeah i don't like they're still hilarious. But none of them are making comedies they're anymore. Not, they're not being made. Like well, Danny McBride still does. Yeah, he's just moved it more to the television space, which is safer like, on HBO specifically. Yeah, the te- too. like tele- yeah. and that's that. I think that is the difference is because we were. Oh yeah, because we our, mentioned this. We're talking about shrinking on Tuesday's episode. Yeah, but we early, touched on this today earlier on. Um, TVs were not good. Like TV um, networks were not going to be making comedies like they're making right. now because of. You know, different FCs. I don't know what the legal uh, you know, entities is, that are over them is FCC. But they weren't going to be able to make stuff like they do now, whereas mm-hmm. streaming stuff can just release stuff regardless in a lot of ways. And so, um, yeah, they can just get away with a lot more. So, Danny Ride with an HBO can do a lot more. Because, like, hit Vice Principles. Yeah. That was one of the ones I was thinking of as a, t- you know, Dude. when I was like, it's hilarious. The, yeah. uh, Righteous Gemstones. Righteous Gemstones. Eastbound is, and Down. Hilarious. One of my Righteous Gemstones is one of my favorites. Yeah, the all three of his yeah written and directed shows are fantastic. Did you ever see Eastbound and Down? Uh, I've seen I've seen clips of it. Oh, it's fantastic. I know. It's hilarious. I've heard. Um, but so the so that like that troop of 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 guys, like they're just not making movies anymore. No, and um, and the ones that have aren't doing that genre yeah, of movie even anymore. Seth Rogen, who's who's still like great, but. He admittedly has toned it down and has tried to do semi-serious stuff to where even the funny stuff has a tender side yeah. to it, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I think we're at a we're worse off for it. <laughs> the, only, well, the, the only person out there seeing pushing the comedy genre at all right now, like pushing it outside of maybe Danny McBride, is Eric Andre. Yeah, uh, but even Eric Andre is like I I consider Eric Andre. In that same group of people, though, okay, because yeah, I, I age don't. age is one, but you know, 
I think there's um, uh, Tim Robinson and I forget the other dude's name. Tim and who, Eric? Those guys? No, that's um, um, Eric Wise. Uh, starts with a W, but and uh, Tim Heidecker. Yeah, Heidecker. But they're, you know, they've been doing that for forever. Yeah. But uh, Tim Robinson was an SNL writer for a long time. He does mm-hmm. the I Think You Should Leave bits on SNL, which are hilarious. Yeah. You need, or on Netflix that you need to watch. Yeah. You'd love it. Um, They're like 15-minute bits, man. You I just like 15-minute shorts. Go for it. Um, So it's weird because whenever you told me about this topic, I was not super enthusiastic mm-hmm. about it because – I I feel like Did I you just have a nose squeak. That's uh, my asthma. You have asthma? Yeah, man. Never seen you hit an inhaler. COVID's real for me. You have an inhaler on you yeah. right now? I don't have one on me now. What if you had an asthma attack? <sighs> it sounds not, like you're about to. I've never had like an. You sound like, like a freaking uh, seagull. I, I sound like squeaker. It's like a seagull. Squeak, whatever. Uh, squeak. Uh, the guy from Toy Story Two. Yeah. And, oh my gosh, bro. <laughs> No, seriously, the first time we did it, I didn't know it was a seagull outside or your nose squeaking. Yeah. It's like, a, ah. yeah, so I have asthma, guys. Wow. Okay. Um, but so you had I your whole life? Yes. Sorry, I'm really processing this. <laughs> I had no clue. Like, do you ever get out of breath singing and you have to like hit the inhaler on stage? No, no, no not that. It's not that like why that. you don't sing about it's you won't relent like, anymore because it's, it's about like, your asthma? Yes, it's more, it's more allergy related. Oh. Yeah. And just when I get tired. <laughs> wow bro yeah you got a matt jones nose squeak going on over yeah. here uh so i wasn't super like um hyped about this topic yeah. because i don't f- watch a lot of comedy movies yeah um but i watch a lot of comedy shows which is i think just as valid as a conversation like i think tv is a much better uh medium for comedy now than movies are. I, I like yeah. we were talking about shrinking on Tuesday's episode. Um, I found myself really laughing out loud multiple times in that yeah. show more than I have in any movie in a long time. Uh, same thing with the righteous gemstones, vice principles, Eastbound and down, uh, Avenue five, uh, something else. I watched a comedy not too long ago. Oh, our flag means death. Um, quite a few other shows. I mean, yeah. I, I watched uh, like there's TV space is crushing the comedy game. But the film space just isn't for me. And and like, like you said, I can't think of recent comedies originally good that I've seen. Like, I don't feel like I see a lot of comedies. So when we kind of made comment to this whenever we saw the trailer for Jennifer Lawrence's new movie. Uh, no Hard Feelings. No Hard Feelings. Yeah. yeah. To where she's trying to bring back that style of comedy. Yeah, the director is. Yeah. The director, yeah. yeah. Um, and... So I I think a lot of it is no one is like when it comes to movies, these directors aren't trying to make those types of movies, not because they don't think it'll work, but it's almost like it it feels like a lesser form of movie. Yeah, I I agree with that. So do you think that's when did that shift happen? Because to me, it happened in the 2010s at some point. Yeah, I think there was some point in 2010s where it was kind of looked down upon. I, so I felt a little bit more optimistic though, when like book smart came out. Yeah. But then that, n- nothing really nothing, came from it. until n- yes. just recently. Now you got Joyride and no hard feelings and strays like that movie strays, the dog movie. Yes. I'm way higher on that than you are. Obviously I think, yeah. but that feels like a movie that would have come out in 2007. In the, 
what were, what was the movie with the the three boys that Good Boys. Good Boys. Yeah, yeah, same director. Yeah. Um like that that Good Boys was Good Boys was so close to being that film. Yeah. But all the funniest parts were in the trailer, so I'd already seen them. So when they hit in the movie, it, it wasn't as fun. And that's part like people, the way that you make a make trailers and make movies, like I was talking to somebody uh recently of like trailers in the nineties, early two thousands, they just flat out told you what the movie was about. Yeah. Like the island with you know Yeah, like, McGregor and Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Yeah. They flat out tell you what the mm-hmm. big plot twist is in that trailer. And, yeah. and so with comedies, it's it's hard to get people to a movie. Um, it, it, you want to know it's going to be funny. So you yeah. have to show those things. And Which so, well, why, why are people only funny for a few scenes? Like, what, you I, know, how, did, how does you, a studio green light listen, that? Listen, I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. But like the movies that are coming out now. Yeah, there's hope. This year? Yeah. Feel like 2007 comedies. And I mean, I, as a compliment, like. That's I, I feel like we need that kind of stuff. And I'm glad some directors are taking a career chance to do that. And I hope they do well. Like those are the type of films I want to support because I want to go back to the theater with my friends and laugh. Yeah. Like I still don't get to do that anymore. Like I think that is part of the push for it is because people realize that they need people to be going to because they need people going to the movies. Part of I think um there was a correction as far as streaming services to where they were putting all these types of movies straight to streaming yeah. because and some of them still should be. I, some of them aren't good. <laughs> I agree, but somebody has to have the insight to know that this is going to be a success mm-hmm. and put it in a movie theater because yeah. that is what is going to make people go to the movies. And when people are conditioned to go to the movies more often, which I think we're getting there. I mean, yeah. you see the John Wick numbers, you saw the Top Gun it, numbers, it, Avatar. And when people are conditioned to show up for those maybe good, funny movies, they're going to be even more conditioned to show up for the good for the good stuff. Yeah. So, and I, and, I, and I hope that does work. So, yeah. you know, I, I I tend to agree with you. I, I think a lot of the th- reasons you don't see a lot of comedies now because I think people are afraid to make yeah. them and risk offending or alienating a whole group of people. Which that's the point of comedy. Like South Park, still today is the most offensive comedy out uh-huh. there. They literally don't care. Yeah. And family, family, I mean, all those family guy, South Park, uh, there's another one. What's the other, uh, it's a newer one though. Um, Rick and Morty. Yes. Rick and Morty, uh, and, uh, there's a Netflix one. I don't know. Regardless. Yeah. They're just all sorts of offensive and they still work. Oh, big mouth on Netflix. That's it. That's the one I was yep. thinking of. Um, they still work. They just riff on everybody, but the people in the film space won't do that. But used to, those are some of the most profitable things. You had Anchorman, Dodgeball, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, I Love You Man, Knocked Up, 40-Year-Old Virgin. I mean, you had yeah. banger after banger after banger after banger after banger. Those people are still out there. Why aren't they making those movies? Talladega Nights. I mean, like... I, s- there's only so many ways to, to, to tell that type of story, though. Like, you're watching Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and you stop it to ask yourself, why like why aren't people making movies like this anymore is because there's only one way to make that Mm -hmm. make those movies like you can you can tell a bank heist yeah many different ways yeah i was was thinking the john wick thing but a punchline can only be delivered one certain way or else the punchline doesn't hit yeah um do you think it's just sparse for i think it's predictability yeah in a lot of ways like the when you know the joke's coming, 
it, it kind of just loses its sting. It doesn't, it doesn't though. Cause like I said, in Jabberwocky, when that dude was underneath the bed having to watch, like that's always yeah. funny to me. There are just certain bits that are always gonna be funny to yeah. me, depending on how the delivery is set up. Like, cause the scenario is always going to be the same cause you can't help it be the same. Yeah. I get it. You know? I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Um, this is what it is. So, you know, with that said, what are some of your go to Mount Rushmore oh, man. comedies? And, I, and I'll start. I'll, I'll start. I'll, I'll kick us off if you okay. want. That, so, you know, these are the films that, and mine are all, I'm going to try to keep mine all more recent ish, not going back to like Monty Python level stuff. Yeah. But for the record, and I said this on Tuesday when we said we discussed it on Thursday, Monty Python and Holy Girls is one of my all time favorite comedies. So that's just so we get that in the clear. Um, but I'm not using that for this example today. So I want to start with a a series of films that I'm bunching in as one. So I don't have to use Yeah. You know what I'm gonna say? I already know. Jackass. Yeah. Well, to me today, yeah, and Jackass forever proved it with how highly it did well in theaters despite the pandemic, and it's one of the top still today, one of the top streamed things on Paramount Plus. People love Jackass 4. Yeah. Jackass Forever. Those bits are never not funny. Now, some sketch, some skits like Monty Python or whatever it may be don't hit as hard as the other ones. But if you want to talk about a cultural phenomenon that yeah. people still eat up today, Jackass is that. That literally had the world by a chokehold for 20 years. Jackass did. That's crazy. The show, the movies, everybody wanted to do Jackass stuff. And I mean, included, made a film about it. Yes, you know? did. Um, and like Johnny Knoxville is also like genuinely a funny guy. Uh, outside of the jackass realm, yeah. Um, and I, I think the I, I think the climate right now in film is perfect, perfectly situated, perfect storm for more of that type of content. Uh, you know, tweak it a little bit, maybe pull off, you know, less of the Dave England pooping in public and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I do, I love a good poop joke just as much as the next guy. But you know, maybe do do some of the more like what worked. in have you seen Jackass Forever? I have not. You should watch it. Okay. What really worked about Jackass Forever was some of the stuff they did in the public. A lot of it was done in the public eye, uh, which they did that in Jackass, the other films too, but a lot of it was just more extreme stunts, which are great for me too. And this yeah. one had those. But, uh, you know, Jackass for Forever, I can say for Jackass Forever did a lot of like um, real world reactions to people doing stuff. And Eric Andre came on as a regular. And like they really brought in some new talent too, which it's is basically and- practical jokers. Kind of <laughs> jackass version. So a lot more intense and yeah. like real stakes. Yeah. Uh, you know, no, but jackass jackass for me, I think is a, it's one of my all time favorites. I laugh every time I watch jackass one, two, three and forever. And I also laugh when I watch jackass two and a half, three and a half and uh, four and a half. I've seen them all. Like even the bonus feature basically, which all those are, are still funny. Like the rejects sure. still crack me up. Uh, so yeah, Jackass for me, the whole the whole franchise as a whole is definitely top tier comedy and one that I think Luna, one that we could use more of. Uh so me next then? Yeah, go ahead. I think I probably gotta go with Tropic Thunder. It's not my top. It's yeah. just like it's it's one that I always think about. It's fantastic. Great cast and overall I like the I like the the jokes are funny, but I like the story with it. And um, I'm not the type to kind of turn some like I, I was never like an American Pie. Yeah, they're fine. Or you know, like stuff along that lines of just 
mind-numbing like comedy. I think American Pie. Now, granted, I was a little young when those came yeah. out, but watching them when I was in middle school or high school, whatever, I liked them. But I think the big value to those back in the day was more of the sex shock. Yeah. Than it was the comedy. Yeah. Being funny. Yeah, but like, I wish I could say, you know, I love a Caddyshack, but I've never seen it. I've seen Caddyshack. Or, it's it's pretty good. But you know, it, those are like the iconic comedies. Yeah. Where whereas I grew up, you know, with like a Tropic Thunder, like that is something I could turn on and mm-hmm. laugh at the same Tom jokes Cruise's every time. Character and that's still one of the funniest. Yeah, guts has some of the best delivery lines ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, Tropic Thunder is a good choice. Um. I'm going to go with a similar vein to Jackass because this movie still to my, to this day, I could watch it once a week and still belly laugh. Borat. The first one specifically. The second one's still funny, but the second one's very political. The first one wasn't as much that way. The first one was kind of like South Park equal opportunist. The second one was more yeah. of a, you know, conservative bashing, Christian bashing, Trump bashing, which I think Trump's a jackass and a lot of conservatives are stupid. Um, in some way, I think a lot of liberals are stupid too. And a lot of Christians do stupid things, yeah. but I am a conservative Christian in a lot of ways. So I also was like, come on, bro. Why don't you yep. make fun of the other people too? But he didn't. But as a whole, the first Borat from beginning to end is arguably the funniest movie I've ever seen in my life. I love Borat. And the second one still, I still laughed out loud. That came out two years ago. Yeah. I still laughed out loud multiple times in Borat. That's another one of those things that you're getting real world reactions to stuff that they don't know is being that's fake. And that's never not funny. That's why Ashton Kutcher's punked did so good for so long. Yeah. With like you weird. just you get it's it's great. Um and I, I so I would love to see more of like just give me 50 Borats, you know? But obviously not the character Borat because people know who that is. But uh no, I I think that's still I think our world is perfectly primed because we're st- stupid and believe and gullible. I think that's um, why Jackass works, why Borat works. As long as they're stupid people, that type of comedy is always going to thrive. Yeah. However, the first Borat was also hella racist, hella insensitive, yeah. hella all of it. But that you know that's that's what made it work. That's what made it funny, and he purposely did it that way. Yeah, and and he still does that kind of stuff, but nobody will take a chance on it now. So yeah, it's it's a bummer. Uh, so my next one, I don't know if if I don't know if you would want to count this as that, but a Night's Tale. No, it's a comedy. Um, it's a dramedy, but well, it's more action comedy. Yeah, I guess I've only, you know I've only seen Night Tales twice in my entire life. What? Twice, two times. I love Night's Tale. I saw it in eighth grade, and I saw it mm, freshman year of college. That is that is one of the easiest watches for me. Heath Ledger and uh, freaking um, shoot Vision. Uh, Paul Bettany. Yeah, Paul Bettany, and I forget the redhead's name, but amazing cast. Um, and you know Heath Ledger absolutely delivers. Um, it is it is there's some action to it which draws me in, but the overall tone it's super lighthearted and it, it just it it is a comedy with some action, not a action movie with a little bit of comedy that you would have as far as like a I don't know some oh I forgot Reefa Sewell's the main guy. Yeah. Uh, it's the count. It's Shannon Sossaman. The redhead dude? Girl? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't, I never remembered her from anything else. I don't, I don't know any of these people. But, I don't know any of the female actors. I know a lot of the guys, but I don't know any of the female. 
people on that. Is, is some good Heath Ledger. So, so yeah, a nice sale. What what made that one work though? Um, because that that one isn't a prototypical comedy. Yeah, I what worked for me. Yeah, it. I mean, it's like put, it's it is a Renaissance yeah. like medieval like <clears throat> theme, which I I I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a great lead in Heath Ledger who is super lighthearted, funny, earnest. Uh, accompanied by Paul Bettany who delivers every single line like Paul he, Bettany's an underrated actor he he's worth he's worth the watch um alone um you got a lot of naked Paul Bettany you know it's, yeah it's, his it's hilarious but gifts everywhere yes. um and but gifts not gifts well, I guess it, it is a if, gift. if you're if you're a vision clouder <laughs> a yeah gift. you get the gift to you it's just yeah uh, he's kind of like Paul Muscal he's got those stacked pancake ass cheeks baby <laughs> Luna would love to get up in them cheeks Okay. Anyways, um, put that squid tongue in that hole. I'm cutting that out. <laughs> I'm cutting that out. So, Night Sale works for me just because of how lighthearted it is. I put that in the same vein as like, um, like a Bad Boys yeah. kind of thing. Like it's a, it's it's not just a comedy, yeah. but the comedy bits work well. Yeah. Um, uh, which. I'm not using Bad Boys, but Bad Boys is a great example, and I'm glad they're making another one. I I thought Bad Boys one and two were good. I thought Bad Boys Forever was really good too. So Bad Boys three or whatever it was. Yeah, but I I put Night's Tale more comedy than Bad Boys. Really? So, yeah, really. You need to rewatch it. I guess I do because I don't. So I mean, I laughed at a Night's Tale, but I don't remember it being like no, thinking whenever, it was a comedy. So whenever we watch Jabberwockies and you have those those uh um uh shoot the uh montages of the people jousting and stuff like yeah. it took me straight like that that felt yeah. like night's tale yeah um and that's you get a lot of that it took me to game of thrones yeah it's it's not i'm telling you, you need to rewatch it okay oh, well, i i will i may do that not this week in the next maybe when i'm on my break that, it's lo- that, it's I a seen longer it i think it's a longer movie than i remember it's uh yeah an hour or 220 yeah 220 two or two hours 20 minutes um so the next one for me is actually the hangover um, uh, that movie's hilarious, and every time I watch it, I watched it a year ago. I about pissed myself laughing at it. Yeah, and honestly, the second one's really funny too. The third one is not as funny, but the second one is, is still pretty good, almost just because the first one. But um, a a good buddy comedy movie, if done right, I I don't they don't normally fail. Like yeah, and, and now granted, that was excellent casting. A weird group of people to put together: Bradley Cooper, Ed Helms, Zach Galifianakis. But it worked. It was yeah. a great, great pairing of the bunch. Um, you should throw some friends together who have worst possible things happen. That that's a great plot line. Like you know, I know you said you earlier talking about like maybe part of the reason there aren't a lot of comedies because it's all been done before. But yeah. that's one of those stories that you can just do over and over again. And if you cast the right people you, and have somebody write a strong script, it's yeah. gonna be funny every time. The the issue with that though is you net you're not as likely to get the actors that you need to elevate yeah. it. So. But at that time, Zach Galifianakis wasn't a household name. Ed Helms was really known for The Office, and yeah. Bradley Cooper was just coming into his career yeah. uh, as like well, that was he after was Silver Lining Playbook. Yeah, he was. was gonna say, if if he did, it was right, right after, after. Hang on, yeah. I gotta find out now. Uh, but Bradley Cooper was becoming. A, I I think he just became a household name at that point. Wasn't it? Wasn't there an actor? Um, there might have been an actor that The Hangover came out in two thousand nine. So I can't remember if it was Harrison Ford or another like well-known like actor actor that basically 
went to Harrison Ford. Still playing playbook came out in twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. Three years Hangover came out before that. That's well, insane to me. Someone went to to Bradley Cooper and basically said, "Like you need to to step it up because like doing movies like The Hangover are not going to further your career." Yeah. And now my guy's freaking Leonard Bernstein. It's quite yeah. freaking amazing. And he still finds a way to he like he still does comedy bits where he gets yeah. them every once in a while. They're more supporting like cameo things. But I, I would like to see them bring back a, you know, give me a Hangover Four. I, th- I think I think everybody's moved on in their careers enough. Even Ed Helms and Zach Galifianakis. Yeah, and they've established themselves. I think it would be now good a good comeback, uh, or to pass the torch and you know whatever with some younger folks. I think it'd be fun. But no, I, I love the Hangover series, and that's one of those plot lines that you can just keep going with, and not have to worry about in the same way that you can do that with a like a fish out of water comedy that always works, yeah. uh, like a hot chick or Vince Vaughn's freaky uh, yeah. gender swap things. Those are always going to be funny. Those are family dynamics. It just depends on how you do it. Like you know, Jonah yeah. Hill wrote and directed You People, which is very all over the board. Yeah, but that's another one of those things they tried to make it too dramedy in a lot of ways. <laughs> Like, just make a good, unabashed comedy. See, and I think, like, for our list, like, that's going to be our, that's going to be the defining factor is I, so my next movie is probably going to be the only, well, this is probably another one to be the only ones that are just straight up comedy. And it, I mean, it's going to be Step Brothers. Mm-hmm. Like, that is. I'm glad you used that. I was literally pulling that up right now. Mine, yeah. I'm, so, that's that's yours as well. Your next. No, one? no, 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 no. I'm not going to use that. Okay. I was trying to decide what to use for my. Because I'm going to use Anchorman. That's my all-time favorite comedy. So Anchorman yes. is going to be one Anchorman of Anchorman was going to be on my list too. So, okay. Uh, so, but Step Brothers was the one I've, I've probably watched the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is a concept that you would never see again. So when you're talking about like all these jokes and all that stuff kind of yeah. being done before and all that stuff, you have someone like a Will Ferrell. Um, who was the director in that? It was Adam. Uh, is Adam McKay? Yeah, Adam McKay. Yeah. Um, just... He, he just he finds a way to find improbable life situations mm-hmm. and highlight them in a way that um, is just otherwise like it's unbelievable. Um, and when you've got Adam Farrell uh, or Will Farrell and uh, um, John C. Riley, you know, it, it just just worked in all levels. There was no I don't think there's ever been anything about that movie that has been quote unquote problematic. No. You know, there's there's been other stuff in other movies that they probably have done yeah. in the past that probably are more questionable now, but everything hits on that movie. Yep. No, I, agree, well. I agree with you. And like looking at the director of my next movie, like there are directors who are still making comedies. Yeah. That are good. Like you just forget like they just go they like a blip on the radar like. So like my my third fourth one is forgetting Sarah Marshall. Mm, yeah, I love that movie, and the director is Nicholas Stoller, who did Neighbors, which is pretty good. Seth Rogen, yeah. Zach Galifianakis, Bros, which I didn't see that one, but uh-uh. it, it got pretty good reviews across the board for really? it. Um, Neighbors too, which is not near as good. Get him to the Greek, which is hilarious. Yeah, the five year engagement, which I mentioned on Tuesday with Jason uh, Jason Siegel and um, yeah, uh, Emily Blunt, uh, Chris Pratt. That one, Allison Brie. That one's pretty funny. And then he's directing a new one. Um, which comes out later this year, uh, or the beginning of twenty twenty four, called it's an it's a wedding comedy. Um, uh, it's about two couples who book the same win- wedding venue on the same day. Yeah, it's Will Ferrell and uh, 
his wife, which isn't cast, and Reese Witherspoon and her husband to be Bradley Cooper. So that sounds like a great cast. Reese yeah. Witherspoon, Bradley Cooper, Will Ferrell, and whoever's going to play his wife. Yep. And that's that's another premise. That's a simple premise that I'm sure is going to do well. And that's yeah. a great cast to book in the thing. That's the thing. The plot doesn't much matter. You can throw a dartboard at a comedy plot and it'll work. It depends on who the director is and what the script's going to be. And this movie getting made is fact in the pudding that I think we're getting back to cinema being back. Yeah. But anyway, forgetting Sarah Marshall, one of my all-time favorite comedies, Jason Siegel's like the man of this week's hour, Kristen Bell, Mila Kunis, Russell Brand, Bill Hader, Jonah Hill, Jack McBriar, Paul Rudd, Jason Bateman, I mean, Kristen Wiig. What a ca- what a cast. Fantastic cast. It, you know, the plot's simple. Man gets divorced or gets left, goes on vacation, finds another girl, his ex-girlfriend is there. Hijinks. Yeah. Simple, but great. And that is a Jason Siegel helped write this movie. Yeah. It's smart funny. Yes. Like it's it's also raunchy funny. Like which you know. he, he's good at both. Yes. But it's that it's a sophisticated sophisticated raunch there we go yeah that's that that's a good word but no uh forgetting sarah marshall one of my all-time favorite comedies um and i'm not gonna get to, oh good you are i was gonna say i'm not gonna get to say it because i'm using anchorman as my fifth but i was gonna give an honorable so let, mention to i love you man but but that is my next yeah <laughs> freaking great and keeping the jason siegel train alive yeah that i mean i've always loved jason siegel uh, i i loved how much your mother towards towards the end it's questionable, but uh, this was the movie that completely I was I was sold on Paul Rudd. I was never really big on Friends, so I didn't get the experience. I didn't make it that far. I mean, I yeah. watched like the first five seasons, but I never made it to Paul Rudd until until I met my wife and all this stuff. I didn't I didn't get the Paul Rudd hype until I met until I watched I Love You Man. Um, there was other funny stuff, but he was never like focused like he is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you get Andy Sandberg too in this, Rashida Jones. J.K. Simmons, I mean, it's it's great. John Favreau. Uh, this is another one of smart comedies. It, it's yeah. so good. Uh, I want to make sure who gets who's got writing credit. So John John Hamburg, who's also the director, and uh, Larry Levin. I just I love this movie. I need to do a rewatch of it soon, but it's Same. just it's it's emotional. It is an emotional movie for me. I don't know why, but it is. Um, Man, what else did John Hamburg do? Okay, so John Hamburg also directed Why Him and Along Came Polly, which love, love both Long, of those movies. Yeah. I think Why Him's good. It's an underrated, underrated yeah, Along one. Came Polly's underrated. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I agree. They haven't seen which. Oh, I mean, so. looking back, so so I've done. Shoot, what was my first one? Um, what was my first one? First what? On my first movie. Oh, um, I don't know. Shoot. What have you done? Uh, I know I did Night's Tale. I know I did. I love you, man. I love you, man. <laughs> Step Brothers. Step Brothers. And the first one was what? What was your first one? Because I did Jackass and Borat and The Hangover and Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Those are my four. Tropic Thunder. Yeah. Yeah. So I got one more. Okay. I'm glad you did. I love you, man. That movie slapping yeah. the bass. Yeah, it's just so good. some great lines. No, I love, I love and, you, man. That and Jason Siegel's playing a role in that that otherwise he doesn't normally play. Kind of, although he's kind of the he's the cool. Like, kind of thinking about it though, I see a little bit of Jason Siegel's characters and everything he does, which I love. Yeah, like as I can like thinking back on I love you, man. Now 
He reminds me of like the quirky dad moments in Shrinking. Yes. Uh, very much so. So, you know, and I already mentioned on Tuesday's episode, the vampire thing he did in Shrinking was very much the same character from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. It was like the same guy in a different universe all the time. And I, yeah. I think that's great. Um, so Anchorman for me is the pentultimate or whatever the ultimate comedy. Uh, the Big Lebowski is a comedy. But to me, that's art where yeah, um, like that movie's like just like a, I can't just put that in a comedy category, even though it is funny. Yeah. But like it's not a, to me, that's not a comedy, even though it's classified one as one, I think. Like satire, not really. It's a Coen Brothers film, so all Coen Brothers films almost have an elephant element of humor in it. Yeah. But I don't I just do not consider the Big Lebowski a comedy fully. That's fair. Uh but Anchorman, I do, obviously. Okay. And Anchorman, I can almost quote to you from beginning to end. Uh and Anchorman 2 actually is shockingly funny. I they're both good. Yeah. But Will Farrell, Paul Rudd, Steve Carell, uh what's Champ's name? Uh I don't remember. Kaishner. Um It's Dick something. Dick. I think so. Ch- uh David Koshner. Uh, started with a D, man. Started yeah. with a D. Uh, yeah, Chris Parnell. Yeah, Seth Rogen's in it. Yeah. It's fantastic. Christina Applegate. That movie, you just don't get better than peak the early collaborations of Adam McKay and Will Ferrell when they both co-owned Gary Sanchez and produced and wrote these movies together. Um, Anchorman's got a 3.5 overall rating. I have it at four and a half. It is just one of my favorite films. And now Anchorman 3 is rumored to be in the works for 2025 release date. And if that comes true, I will... I... I'm I'm just saying it right here right now. I will cream my pants. I I just will. You really like two? I did. If you watched it, yeah. You need to rewatch it. It's funnier than you remember. I just remember the ending was just like ending's not great, but weird and unnecessary. It is. It is, but okay. it's still it's still good. Uh, and I want to give an honorable mention to an icon, Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, okay, that and Nacho That's, Libre are two yeah. films that. I loved when I was younger and then I had like a divorce of in my head for a while. Like, oh, that was because I was young and yeah. I didn't, it was stupid. It was just stupid funny. But as I've gotten older and rewatched Napoleon Dynamite and Nacho Libre, those movies are actually Monty Python-esque. Yeah. And like I had it when I was a kid. I loved them. Like, you know, middle school, high school, loved those films. Then like over the last 10 years or so, I didn't really like them. And now I'm back on the, hey, DJ Monty Python, the Holy Grail to kind of films. And I yeah. really do like them. So, you know, that, that, th- those would be, those would be my top five, my honorable mentions. Okay. Uh, my fifth movie, um, uh, which is hard because I'm like, it's to the point now to where I'm looking back and thinking, okay, th- like thinking of the actors, mm-hmm. like, like, do I throw in a Sandman movie? Do I throw in like a Ben Stiller movie? Um, honestly, I got my movie though. Okay, what is it? It's Tommy Boy. Great film. Easy, easy, easy choice. I want to give you a before a controversial yeah. take here. Yeah, Black Sheep is better than Tommy Boy. I have not seen Black Sheep. Really? Yeah. Same cast, basically. Yeah. Um. I mean, Spade and and Farley like were magic work great together. Mm-hmm. Um. But the overall theme of the movie and just how how Farley plays into it. Um, knowing he's not really 
I, I don't know. He he brings everything to a movie, so I'm not saying he doesn't try, but yeah, he he does not have to try in a lot of ways. It's, it's just who he is. Um, was great. Um, and just overall, like it's a great movie. It it, it plays out really well for God, a comedy. So, so good. Yeah. Uh, but for my honorable mission mention though. Norbit? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'll just throw this <laughs> mic. It could be though, easily could be. I mean, it's it's turn your mind off and just like be numbed. Uh, shoot, honorable mention though, probably, probably, shoot. Um, it's gotta be a Sandler movie, so probably. Billy Madison. Billy Madison's really good. Yeah. Look through some of these, man. Like the Harold and Kumar movies. The first yeah. two. Those are funny. I never got the like I'm I'm I was never like super raunchy. Because of the CCA? No, I just like I get that it's funny. It's just like I don't I don't know. This is the end was also really funny. Yeah, that's like a, a good the, cast. We never the- we didn't even mention super bad. Like that is. I rewatched that with Abby. Yeah. Abby had never seen it. We watched it either early, I think last year. Yeah. Last year. Um, it's really good, but I lowered it from four and a half to four. Um, it still has all the quotable moments, but movies that are just raunch. Yeah. Don't hold up as well. No. There's ones that have a little bit of. Like, Superbad has a plot, but it's a raunch plot. Yes. Like, Anchorman has a plot, and it's a funny plot. Yeah, like there's a difference. Um, and all the I think all the films we mentioned, I mean, Jackass aside, yeah, you know, it's different, different kind of just total humor. But um, Super Bad just is like one dick joke after another dick joke after another dick joke. It's that's the whole, yeah, but a joke. And that now is just not. It's still a four star. I still laughed a lot. Yeah, uh, and like there's some parts where I like was wheezing. I was having like a JP asthma attack, you yep. know, over there watching it, but. You know, as as a whole, super bad just to me isn't what it used to be. Like to me, forgetting Sarah Marshall, I love you, man. Yeah. Even get them to the Greek, I think are uh, better comedies yeah. as a whole. Not as culturally important. Super bad was a culturally defining comedy, so you know I, I'll never take that away from it. And like Will Ferrell had a chokehold, like semi pro Talladega Nights, old school Ooh, yeah. Wedding Crashers. I mean, he wasn't the star in that, but he stole the show in that as Chaz yeah. Michaels. Uh, Blades of Glory, Anchorman, uh, Step Brothers. Um, there's another big one I'm missing in there. For mm. Will Ferrell, Elf. Yeah, I mean, you you thought comedy Will Ferrell yeah. was what was that guy? Zoolander. Um. Yeah, yeah and, and a lot of times though, those are supporting roles. Outside of Zoolander, what was the other one? Those was, are all starring roles. Yeah, sorry. I was trying. Oh, Wedding Crashers. That yes. was the that was the other one. But um, yeah, no, there there's a oh the other guys. The other guys is great. Other underrated other, film. That under, one's very funny. underrated. That one's fun. I almost could. I should have caught it. Added that one. That I, one was. I funny. rewatched that with Caitlin not long ago, and she thought I was. She just thought I was a stupid. Like, I was stupid for liking it, but not Pain and Gain. Oh my god! <laughs> hey, listen. The more I think about Pain and Gain, I just I don't know. I don't know. I man. have it down here. I'm, I think I need to rewatch it. Yeah. 
at <laughs> some you, point. I think you should. Just to see. Because that was like, that was, first of all, Dwayne Johnson would never now. He would no. he would not, which I think is beneath him to think he should could not do something like that again because he is not, he is not hot shit. No. I'm, I'm off, I'm off the rock. Yeah. After the whole Black Adam thing, I'm kind of off the rock too. Bro, there are some good comedies down John, here. Jonathan is just looking to his wall full of 3,622 movies. movies. Yeah. Uh, the Ted, Ted one's pretty good. The first Ted. Listen, the other guys though was, was a great Will Ferrell movie, but almost even better Mark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. Um, <gasps> Seven Psychopaths is a great example yeah. of a smart modern comedy. Yeah. Great film. Great film. Brothers Grimsby is the funniest raunchy movie I've seen in years. <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen, Mark Strong. But still not top five. No. But, um, man, we should do a comedy week sometime. That would, that would be a long pod. Just like, no, cause you know, you know, we're wrapping up the pod here. So we're done with Terry Gillen. We did yeah. our retrospective. We've done our comedy conversation. So, I think we've decided we're going to do another director series next. Yeah. Go but we probably want to take a couple weeks off. Couple? I would probably benefit two weeks. That's a lot of films to watch in two weeks. You don't have to watch that many films, Jonathan. <sighs> I you watch a lot of films highlight, in general. You said you could highlight them. You don't have to watch. You don't have to talk about every single thing. Well, see, if we take two weeks off, then that goes into my vacation. Then I'm watching a ton I'm just, of films. I'm just saying, I got Palm Sunday and Easter the next two weeks. I'd say you guys gonna need a break. Yeah. Either way, let's take next week off. We'll discuss two weeks later. <laughs> okay, y'all be on the lookout for the other but, one. I was thinking. Yeah. Because I texted you that you didn't text me back about it. Going remember. back to our shrinking conversation, I need to be a better friend too, and text back people. Sorry, Tanner, looking at you specifically. Um, Big Lebowski's playing at Cinemark on 420. We're going. Okay. Have you ever seen it? Yeah. Just once? Yeah. Okay, good. It'd be like watching it with fresh eyes. What if we did a Coen Brothers in review? I, I would love that. For the next one. Yeah. It's about the same amount of films as Terry Gilliam, but I feel like with the Coen Brothers, they, they the have some hit style is going to be similar, but the thematic... Which I'm all for. Give me the same style, different. different. Yeah. So hang on, let me pull. I had them pulled up early today because Dawson was helping me shoot out some different, like, off the beaten path directors. Yeah. So like, they have director. So you, uh, Joel Cohen is who I chose. It may be different between Joel and Ethan, but I'm gonna do the one where they did together. So you get No Country for Old Men. Oh, freak! Yes. Fargo. The Big Lebowski, which is perfect because that, that'll be playing this in yeah. April. So we'll yeah. still be doing it. Inside Lewin Davis, Burn After Reading, Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Dude, yeah. It's the, just, yeah, this is what we're the doing. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. This is what we're doing. Uh, Hell Caesar. You know, you chose that I from one of yours. Hell Caesar. Uh, True Grit, The Tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, then you get into some like some classics like Raising Arizona. Oh, yes. Uh I forget the Coens did Raising Arizona. Uh, a Serious Man, which I've never seen, yeah. but I've heard great things about. Uh, another one I've heard great things about, it's got a force and I'll watch this forever, is Barton Fink. Never heard of that. Um, this is the cover of it. It's got John Goodman, John Totoro, 
Never heard of that. Yeah, it, it it's high rating. Um, Billy Bob Thornton, the man who wasn't there. Hud Sucker, another George Clooney film, Intolerable Cruelty. Tom Hanks film, Lady Killers. I think we've just decided we're doing Coen Brothers. I think so too. We'll have to we'll have to trim down the movies. Well, do all it's not them? that many. How many all together? Uh, one, two, three. All right. That one's not both of them. 18 that are not, that are the brothers. So that's nine weeks. So just a couple more weeks longer. And and maybe we could double up and do three one week and have just no topic or two if we needed to. Okay. Just because there's more. But that's only four more films than Gilliam. Yeah. So, and I don't think I will get it as bogged down yeah, in the Coen Brothers could, review. I think we could shape the conversation a little bit more mm-hmm. for these movies because they will, like, like you said, style-wise, they will be very similar. But the the movie themselves, what goes into making the movies, like there'll be, I think, more to talk about uh, than the same old Gilliam. I agree. Uh, so that yeah, this will be a lot of fun. Um, it's oh, I was, was kind of looking to forward to Paul Thomas Anderson, but this kind of feels. Oh, I forgot we said that. No, no, this feels this feels like the stars are aligning for uh, Cohen Brothers, which I'm all for. I could I could do Cohen all day. Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> he doesn't have as many movies, so that could be that could be a good. Well, we'll be going in the summer with those. Not all uh, summer though. Paul yeah. Thomas Anderson, director of 24 films, but take out. Six short films or more. Yes, let's do him after Coen Brothers. Yeah, so that that way we got our next two director series lined up, and then we can go ahead and say a third. No, Tarantino, we'll just, baby. Oh man, Tarantino. That's that's a that's three totally different directors in a row. Yeah, four if you count Terry Gilliam. I think that's a good slate. Tarantino and Coen are kind of get a palate cleanse with Paul Thomas Anderson though. I don't know, dude. That they're you could do Wes Anderson. <laughs> yeah, that is that is. Wes Anderson is the ultimate palate cleanser. <laughs> we could do that then, Tarantino. Dude. <laughs> Goodness, going from Wes Anderson to Tarantino would be a... Be a ride. Be a ride. But yeah, either way, I say we do Coen Brothers and Paul right. Thomas Anderson then revisit it after that. So, we at least won't be with you next week. So go back, listen to our other things. We got like 20 freaking... Hang on, let me see. Did I tell you how many we got right now? This is 23 and 24. 24. So that means that um, you, by the time we listen to this, you have 25 episodes you can listen to. Um, take 24, that freaking pilot zero. Just don't, we don't have a pilot. We don't have a pilot. Well, cause, no, the, so when, when I, pu- I publish these things, I have to put what episode of the season we're on. Yeah. Which is technically 25. Oh. So I have to actually write the right numbers. That's why I mentally I can mm. never move past the take. Because I have to write, I'm always one ahead on the what actual number we're on. And it won't let you go back and put a different one on there. So either way, you got 25 episodes to go back and listen to. So if you're joining us this week, thank you. And hello. Um, if you like what we've been doing to your ear holes, go ahead and subscribe. Uh, give us a five-star rating because I know you want to. I know you loved it. I know you're having a great time right now. Um, so go back, join us more. And uh, we will see you in a week or two uh, with our first Coen Brothers in review. And I might just have a hundred movies to discuss if we take two weeks off. <laughs> uh, so be, buckle up for a three hour cinematic load to be blown all over you. So 
I'm one of your hosts, Jonathan McCorder. This has been Mostly Film, your one-stop chaotic shop for all things in the world of film. Uh, so this is me, and uh, so you can say goodbye to JP Patel. Bye.